oftentimes when you translate from one language to another, it's very, very difficult to capture the real meaning here. And the real meaning here is not addicted to wine. That's not the real meaning. The thought here, as you look at the Greek phrase, it's made up of two words. One word is not. That's easy. But then there's a compound word, which means beside wine. When you put this together, what Paul literally means, an elder must not be a man who is beside wine. That is to say that he is not a man who lingers long at the wine. He doesn't drink too much. He doesn't drink too much to the point that he either becomes drunk or loses some control of his faculties or loses sound judgment because he's controlled by wine. So the thought here is that an elder must be a man who does not over drink. He is to be above reproach in the use of wine. He is not to be brought into bondage of any kind, especially here she's talking about alcohol and lose control of his senses. Now, in order to be fair with the Bible, we can't say that Paul forbids elders from ever drinking wine. That doesn't mean that Paul is encouraging it. That doesn't mean that we necessarily, who are elders, should go out and drink wine. But we have to be fair with Scripture. Scripture does not forbid an elder from drinking wine. In fact, it's very interesting. Timothy apparently made a decision, for whatever reason, he made a decision in his own life not to drink wine. Very unusual in his day. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, Paul says to Timothy, No longer drink water exclusively. But use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, the only reason Paul would have to tell Timothy to take some wine for his digestion problems is because Timothy never did take wine. Why would you tell somebody to do it if he was already doing this? So what Paul means here is, Timothy, I understand that you made a decision not to drink wine at all. But I'm telling you that it's all right in light of your digestion problems and whatever stomach ailments he had. It's all right. So we want to be fair with the scripture. And you'd have to say if the Apostle Paul was ever going to forbid wine drinking, this would be the place. If there's any place in the New Testament that you would think if you're going to forbid it, you would forbid it, it would be here. But that's not what he does. Instead, he says that elders are free to drink wine, but they must be moderate in the use of wine. Now, we want to put things in perspective. some believers who say the Bible forbids wine drinking. There are others who say it doesn't, and they would point to Jesus drinking wine. And there are still others who say the Bible would teach that the only time we are to refrain from the use of wine is when it causes a weaker brother to stumble. Hello, welcome to the Controversy Hour. I mean verse by verse. I tell you what, as we have gone through our series, God's Standards for Church Leadership, Pastor Steve has not avoided what to some would be controversial topics. We are studying in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and there have been a few leadership standards that even today give us some difficulty. The topic for this program is just one of those topics. More specifically, we will be looking at what it means to be addicted to wine. 
We want to be fair and we want to be accurate in our understanding of this. So let's begin to look at what it really means to not be addicted to wine. Here is our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. We want to discuss what the Bible has to say about wine. What the Bible has to say about wine is very important for us to know. Very important. We don't want to misunderstand the teaching of the Word of God. We don't want to go beyond it. We don't want to come short of it. And we have to face this controversial issue, and it is really a controversial issue, because of our study of 1 Timothy chapter 3. So I would invite you to turn there. As Paul is giving the standards for church leadership, the qualifications for a man in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 3 of chapter 3, he says this, dealing with the social standards, he says, not addicted to wine. This man must not be addicted to wine. And the reason it is so very important for the church and not just leadership is this. All of these standards are important because these men are to be models to the church. These men are to model the Christian life to every one of us, to every believer. That is God's plan. So what is acceptable for a church leader is also acceptable for the church. So it pertains to us, and I hope you understand that. It is not just an issue for leadership. It is an issue for the church. If they model this before you, then what they can do, you can do. And what they can't do, you shouldn't do. So this phrase is pertinent to the whole church. And it is a very debated issue. There are some believers who say the Bible forbids wine drinking. There are others who would say it doesn't. And they would point to Jesus drinking wine. They would point to such references as Matthew eleven nineteen, in which some people accused him of being a wine bibber. It would be obvious that they had to see him drink some wine in order to accuse him of being that. Now, there are still others who say, well, the Bible would teach the only time we are to refrain from the use of wine is when it causes a weaker brother to stumble. Now, tonight, we want to be fair and we want to be accurate in our understanding of this. So let's begin to look at what it really means to not be addicted to wine. Now, what does Paul mean by this? Oftentimes, when you translate from one language to another, it's very, very difficult to capture the real meaning here. And the real meaning here is not addicted to wine. That's not the real meaning. The thought here, as you look at the Greek phrase, it's made up of two words. One word is not. That's easy. But then there's a compound word, which means beside wine. When you put this together, what Paul literally means, an elder must not be a man who is beside wine. That is to say that he is not a man who lingers long at the wine. He doesn't drink too much. He doesn't drink too much to the point that he either becomes drunk or loses some control of his faculties or loses sound judgment because he's controlled by wine. So the thought here is that an elder must be a man who does not over drink. He is to be above reproach in the use of wine. He is not to be brought into bondage of any kind, especially here she's talking about alcohol and lose control of his senses. Now, in order to be fair with the Bible, we can't say that Paul forbids elders from ever drinking wine. That doesn't mean that Paul is encouraging it. 
That doesn't mean that we necessarily, who are elders, should go out and drink wine. But we have to be fair with Scripture. Scripture does not forbid an elder from drinking wine. In fact, it's very interesting. Timothy apparently made a decision, for whatever reason, he made a decision in his own life not to drink wine. Very unusual in his day. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23... Paul says to Timothy, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, the only reason Paul would have to tell Timothy to take some wine for his digestion problems is because Timothy never did take wine. Why would you tell somebody to do it if he was already doing this? So what Paul means here is, Timothy, I understand that you made a decision not to drink wine at all. But I'm telling you that it's all right in light of your digestion problems and whatever stomach ailments he had. It's all right. So we want to be fair with the scripture. And you'd have to say, if the Apostle Paul was ever going to forbid wine drinking... This would be the place. If there's any place in the New Testament that you would think if you're going to forbid it, you would forbid it, it would be here. But that's not what he does. Instead, he says that elders are free to drink wine, but they must be moderate in the use of wine. Now, we want to put things in perspective. And we don't want to just run with one thing. We want to put things in perspective. First of all, we recognize from the Bible that drunkenness is always a sin. Always a sin. What is drunkenness? It's at any point in which the alcohol takes over any part of your faculties. When you are no longer under control. That's what drunkenness is. And the Bible is very clear. The Bible forbids getting drunk. For example, Ephesians 5.18 tells us, Be not drunk with wine. That's very clear. I don't know how much clearer you can be. Romans A few passages. Romans chapter 13, verse 13, Paul says, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing. And drunkenness, very clear. Let's not behave like those who behave at night, who carouse and get drunk. In Galatians 5.21, we're told that drunkenness is a work of the flesh. It is not a work of the spirit. And the Bible often describes drunkenness and its effects. In Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says that it brings deception. Wine is a mocker. Wine is a mocker. Habakkuk 2.15 speaks of overdrinking that leads to sexual perversion. Proverbs 31 speaks of it as affecting clear thinking. It can lead also to sickness, according to Isaiah 19.14, loss of balance and mental control, Job 12.25, arrogance, Habakkuk 2.5, forgetfulness, Proverbs 31. And so, in the Bible, drunkenness is always condemned. However, in order to be fair with Scripture, once again, we have to say that the use of wine is not always condemned. In fact, sometimes it's even commended. It's even commended. For example, in Exodus 29, Leviticus 23, the people were told to bring drink offerings of wine to the temple for God. And also, the Bible speaks of wine as medicinal. One passage we already looked at, Paul told Timothy, take some wine for your stomach. It does help in digestion. They didn't have a lot of medicine back then, and so wine was used medicinally. Not only that, remember the Good Samaritan? What did he pour into the man's wounds? He poured wine. 
In addition to that, let's look at Proverbs 31. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 6 and 7 tell us about another use of wine that was medicinal, helpful for people. Proverbs 31, 6. The writer says, Give strong drink to him who is perishing, that is, to someone who's dying, and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Wine was a sedative to ease the pain of someone dying, and it helped to calm people's nerves, and that's how the inspired writer is using it here. So the Bible does not forbid the use of wine, just the excessive use of it. And there are all kinds of debates that people have about was it fermented wine in the Bible and the New Testament was it unfermented. It was obviously fermented wine. Remember when Jesus turned the water into wine? The people knew that this was good wine. They understood that. You speak to anybody who comes from a Mediterranean area and they'll tell you that it's always fermented wine. But wine in the Bible is not always forbidden. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21, speaks of them using wine at the Lord's Supper. Now, it's true they got drunk, but that's because they lingered long at it. Now, when you put this all together, there are a few things that we want to say about this. I think there are two important principles that come out of this whole thing, and then we're going to look at various other principles with it. But two important principles. Number one... It would appear as we apply this principle, when Paul says that an elder is not to sit long beside wine, that we should not, we learn from this, we should not take any chemical into our bodies that would distort our thinking. I think that is the primary thought. Don't take any chemical into your body that would distort your thinking. And that would today apply to drugs just as well as alcohol. Don't take anything that's going to affect your sound judgment. When you're an elder, you must always have sound judgment. And elders are to lead by example. And so this would be true of all of us. Don't take anything into you to the point that it would distort your judgment. Second principle, we should not be addicted or controlled by anything whether it be wine or drugs or tobacco or food or caffeine or television or sports. There shouldn't be anything that you feel I can't live without. I think that's the overall principle. And oftentimes all we want to do is deal with the wine issue, but it is broader than that. Don't have anything that would control you. In fact... Let me give you some guidelines about this, because we could not say in fairness to the scriptures that the Bible forbids the drinking of wine. But let me put it in perspective. If you choose to drink, you should have some biblical guidelines on that. And let's look, for example, first at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Paul says this. This is a wonderful truth. And he's talking here about Christian liberty. Those things that the Bible neither forbids nor does it command and tell you that you have to do. All things, Paul said, are lawful for me. And what he means by that is all things that the Bible doesn't say I can't do. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. That's a marvelous truth. Paul is teaching here by way of application, let's say, with wine. Would the Bible say that you can't have wine? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. I know that tends to be an American perspective. 
But the Bible doesn't say that. If you were to ever go to countries in Europe and had the opportunities, Michelle and I have, to sit around with a group of pastors having dinner in Italy, you would see that they have their wine in front of them. Same thing would be true in France. In fact, if you go to those countries, they understand that Americans have a different perspective on that. And they would say that wine is not a problem to them, and it isn't. But here's the principle. All things are lawful for you. Can you drink wine? If you choose to, that's fine. But is it beneficial? Is it profitable? It's lawful, but Paul says don't be mastered by it. Here's the danger that you have to consider as you seek the Lord on counsel. There are so many alcoholics in our country. So many people have a problem with this. I'm certain that not one of them started out by saying that I will turn into a drunk by doing this. All of them thought that they could handle it. And maybe you feel you can handle it, but perhaps not. Perhaps not. The issue is you ought not to be involved in something that you can't handle. It may be all right, but don't let it master you. Don't let anything master you. So be careful about that. If you're considering the use of alcoholic beverages, that's one consideration. Don't ever let it control you. And when you do drink, if you decide to drink, you must then always be conscious of the fact, do I have to have this? Have I become addicted to it? A second principle is found in Romans chapter 14. And I think this is very important. Romans chapter 14, verse 21. Paul said, It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. That's an important principle. You may have the freedom to drink wine. But if you do, and especially those of us who are elders, if you do and somebody else sees you, would they be hindered in their Christian life? They may very well be. They say, but they're not in Italy. They're not in France. Yeah, but you don't live in Italy. You don't live in France. If you did, then it'd be a different story. But in the United States, there is a certain stigma that goes with especially a leader in the church drinking. And I think you want to be very, very careful that what you do, though you may feel before God you have the freedom to do it, but don't do it out where somebody could stumble. Somebody who doesn't have a conscience as strong as yours. Somebody who would then think that, oh, you're a pastor, or you're a leader in the church, or you're a Sunday school teacher. If it's all right to drink with you, that you say it's all right to drink, even though I don't feel comfortable doing it, I'll still do it because you're my example. But then they do it and they're really bothered, they're deeply convicted, and before you know it, their conscience is a little more callous to other things and they're doing things they shouldn't do. So be very careful about that. And that goes for anything. Now I want to be careful too that whenever we talk about stumbling, I think especially in the United States within Christian circles, we have to be careful. Stumbling is not somebody who doesn't like what you do. There's always people who don't like what you do. That's not stumbling. Stumbling is when a weaker brother looks at you as an example, and if you do something that he doesn't have a clear conscience to do, he might be tempted to do it as well. So you want to be careful, because if you open it up to, well, somebody's going to be critical of you, you can't do anything. So be careful about what true stumbling is, not just those who have critical spirits and want to take your freedom away. I think that's important. Jesus Christ has set us free from the law. 
let's not put ourselves under another legalism, but if somebody is legitimately troubled by it, then don't do it. It's not worth it. And Paul speaks about this in verse 16 of Romans 14. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. He's talking about the freedom to eat certain foods, the freedom to drink wine. And Paul says, hey, you may be fine with it, but don't let that hinder your testimony. And I think that's a broad guideline. Would it, even though you have the freedom to do it, would it hinder your testimony? If it does, it's not worth it. It's absolutely not worth it. I remember when I was a sophomore at the University of South Florida, I had recently come to Christ. I was not particularly sanctified. And I remember being in the dorm room, and and I had not even thought about alcoholic beverages. I was just trying to figure out at that point whether I was even saved or not. I wasn't trying to understand a lot of other things. But I remember being in the presence of the fellow who was sort of discipling me, and there were some unsaved young men around, and they offered me a beer. And I said, not even thinking, I said, sure. I remember my Christian friend later, now I was just a few months old in the Lord, and my Christian friend later said to me, said, Steve, do you want to be a good witness to these guys? I said, absolutely. He said, do you want to be a good testimony? you want to share Christ with them and have an effective witness? And I said, I sure do. And he said, do you think that taking that beer was the right thing to do? And I was pierced in my heart. And I thought, you know what, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to in any way hinder the cause of Christ. So when we're considering all of these things concerning alcohol, those are the things you need to consider. Not whether, well, the Bible doesn't forbid it so I can do it. There are lots of things the Bible doesn't forbid. That doesn't mean you have to do it. For the sake of Christ and for the love of other people, we often refrain from certain behavior. So we lay that out before you. We're not going to be legalistic on this. You, before the Holy Spirit, need to make a decision on that. But those are some guidelines. The Bible doesn't forbid it. The Bible doesn't encourage it. But the Bible gives guidelines on the areas of Christian liberty. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you all. This is a controversial issue in some circles. It seems rather clear what your will is if we take in the whole counsel of God. We want to be fair and accurate with the scriptures, Lord, and we feel like we've done that. We don't want to go beyond the Bible says, and we don't want to not teach what the Bible says. So, Lord, we pray that you help our elders, myself, to be models to this people. We pray for those who might struggle with this issue. We pray that your word would deal with them, would help them to be wise and obedient. Lord, for those who are listening who may have relatives and loved ones who are alcoholics and drunkards and who have a problem in this area, we pray you'll encourage these folks. Help them to be diligent in prayer. Help them, Lord, to have hope in you, to have confidence in you. It's a very difficult area, very difficult. And Father, we pray that those who are involved in this with the problem areas would have your deliverance, would seek you, would repent of sin, because it's not really a disease primarily, though it may develop into that. It's a sin. And so we pray that you'll help them to recognize it as such. And Father, we just pray that you'll help us to have clear minds, clear hearts, clear perspectives that we might lead this church properly, that we might be examples to the flock, that they ought to have their heads being very clear as well. But we pray all of this in Christ Jesus' most precious name. Well, what do you think? 
Today on Verse by Verse, our teacher, Pastor Steve Preloff, was a very brave man, I think. As we looked at all these things concerning alcohol, Pastor Steve laid out the biblical principles that we need to consider. It's not a matter of the Bible doesn't forbid it so I can do it. There are a lot of things the Bible doesn't forbid. That doesn't mean you have to do it. For the sake of Christ and for the love of other people, we often refrain from certain behaviors. So Pastor Steve has laid that out before you. I don't think he was legalistic on this, so we will leave it at this. Before the Holy Spirit, we need to make a decision on that. But those are some biblical guidelines that we can use. The Bible doesn't forbid it, the Bible doesn't encourage it, but the Bible gives guidelines on the areas of Christian liberty. So please come back next time, if you dare, for verse by verse as we continue to look at God's standards for church leadership. Church leadership.